Hello, my friends. This is Joanne Lutz, and I'd like to welcome you to the first ever episode of the Third Option Wisdom Podcast. I'm really excited to begin this with you, and I am calling this first episode Where to Begin. It seems kind of appropriate for the time that we are all experiencing together. Where do we begin in the midst of a pandemic? Where do we begin when nothing looks the same? When we travel together from the bridge of what was, or from the place of what was, over this bridge to what may be coming, what might be next for all of us. And so overall, my idea with this podcast as a series is to offer some kind of support in navigating your world, whatever might be happening in your unique situation. My aim is to offer some sort of support, solace, to raise questions of different ways to think about things. And Ultimately, what I work with people on is developing self-trust. And so I think of you, anyone who is doing some sort of growth work, some sort of investigating into what else is possible, I see you as my trust tribe because there is some way that you are leaning in to some kind of curiosity, some kind of faith. And I believe that always begins with self-trust. And so that's overall the nature of what this podcast will be over the course of however long we do this together. For tonight, we're going to be working with where we begin and my outline for this evening is I'm going to read you a very short poem that dropped in last night. I'm going to tell you a story about a first kiss of mine. I am going to share something that I learned growing up. I'd like to talk, to talk about the gift of the pandemic. And then I'd like to tell you a story about my grandfather and a story about the beach. So with that, I offer you this poem. It is April 15 in the time of quarantine. In any other year, it would be tax day. Instead, because of COVID, at home we stay. I find I long for dining out and wish my travel plans weren't canceled. No doubt the nurses, doctors, clerks, and carriers wish for health and safety as they get trampled. I chose this date to begin a podcast because people around me are drowning fast. Who I am is what I have to contribute. And so with my words, my love, I distribute. So April 15th has significance for me because that was the first time that my husband and I ever kissed. It was a hundred billion years ago. And I had just come from a funeral and was stopping off for lunch. 
and I ran into him at a little sandwich shop in Newton, Massachusetts. And we ended up having lunch together. And afterwards in the parking lot, he gave me a quick kiss. And so we consider this one of our anniversaries. We don't actually do anything to celebrate any of our anniversaries. Um, and we've been together a very long time. And yet, I still remember, as does he, that April 15th was our first kiss. So since we are talking about where to begin, in a way that was a beginning for us. And I don't know, for me, April 15th is the time to begin. And so here we are. When I was growing up, I mostly lived with my mom and my grandparents, her parents. And so we started living together when I was probably about three years old and continued to live together until I was 14, I think. When I was 13, my grandfather, who was really just my person, he died and it really created an incredible disruption among all of the women in the family. So there was my grandmother and her two daughters, one of which was my mom, of course. And the reason that most of our lives, we, or I should say most of my life at that point, we spent with my grandparents is because my mom was schizophrenic. And life was very complicated for her. And being a single parent was a very hard job under any circumstances but it was made more difficult because the schizophrenia made it hard for her to maintain a job for any period of time for her to earn at a level that would allow us to have our own place and so she had the generosity of her parents and and we lived there for many years because money was so tight though at 12, when we were still all living together, I was desperate to start earning my own money. I wanted some of that financial freedom. And so I started babysitting. And I remember creating this little invitation. I remember um, there were a couple of young children down the street from where I lived. And so the bunny, the invitation looked like a bunny and on it, I wrote down my name and my contact information and that I was available for babysitting. And then shortly thereafter, they reached out to me. That was my great marketing experience at that time. And I took care of these two little girls on and off for several months. And that began me having the experience of being useful outside of the house, of earning some financial independence. I didn't actually like babysitting that much, but I really liked earning money. For the years prior to that and the years after that, actually, a big part of my commitment was to attempt to keep my mom sane, which given her diagnosis was 
not only not an easy job, but truly an impossible job. There was no way that that would be actually an option. But nonetheless, I stayed busy with that. But I didn't get paid for that, so babysitting. As the years went on, I did more and more and more babysitting. I would devote entire summers earning a dollar an hour to babysitting this one little girl. And I don't know what her parents were doing, but they were never around. And I spent my entire summer with her at her house from nine o'clock in the morning until five o'clock at night. So I made money, which was great but I didn't really enjoy it that much. Still, I kept working. And when I turned 14 or 15, I really attempted to get a job that was not babysitting since I had no passion for that, but I was too young and no one would hire me. When I turned 16, on the day of my birthday, I rode my bike, which was my primary source of transportation, to Kentucky Fried Chicken, where my cousin worked, and they hired me. I got a job right away. It's very exciting. So now I'm off to the races in the workplace. So I go from there to um, working at the local movie theater, which was more fun than working at Kentucky Fried Chicken. Um, of course, I'm still involved in school stuff. Not a great student, but Anytime there was anything to sell, whether it was a calendar, a magazine, some chocolate, didn't matter. I was Johnny on the spot selling whatever it was that needed to be sold. I was involved in various extracurricular activities like the yearbook and the Latin club and, you know, geeky things. And I just stayed busy. I just allowed myself to stay very, very busy because it seemed like then I had a purpose. And when I graduated from high school at 17, I maintained my job at the movie theater for a while, maybe about hmm, four, five, six months. And my mom started acting like, uh, Joanne, you're going to get a real job because I was not ready to go to college. So I didn't go to college, but she was wondering if I was going to be getting a real job. And I found a job working for a cruise line. And so I went to work every day, full time, finally, selling cruises because I'd already sold everything else in school. So this was no problem. In that window of time, when I was only working part time, something really amazing happened for me, which is that my social life changed. I started to have several different friends. We would do a variety of different things. There would be going to the movies, which I know now is a totally, well, not this moment, but these days going to the movies is just everybody does that. But movies weren't quite as readily available. I mean, the theater that I worked at had two screens and it was really the only theater. There's one other theater that had one screen within a 15 mile radius. So it wasn't the same kind of situation. Going to the movies was kind of a big deal. And that's part of what we did. So during this time of comparative downtime, I wasn't in school. I only had a part-time job. 
my mom and I were living on our own at that point and she was doing some house cleaning work. During that time, I started to flourish a little bit. I started to come into my own as who I actually was in a way that I had not been able to do when I was just busy, busy, busy. So fast forward, I turn 18, I moved to Boston with a roommate. Before my roommate actually came to join me, I stayed at her sister's house for a couple of weeks before our apartment was ready. For those first couple of weeks, I had a job selling photocopiers in Dorchester, Massachusetts, which at that time had very few businesses. It was mostly residential. It was not generally considered a safe area. And I was this little 18 year old girl, basically out in the wilds of Dorchester trying to sell photocopiers. And when I didn't sell any within the first two weeks, I got fired, which was devastating because now this big move that I had planned with my future roommate, how was I going to afford that? How was I going to live my life? How was I going to manage? How did I end up getting fired? It was a real crisis moment for me. And I went home for a couple of days to my mom's house. And then I went back up because we had this apartment. So I went back up, found another job, and just worked and worked and worked and worked. And over the course of time, I went from one job to another, sometimes having more than one job. And that was how I lived. I lived constantly going. When I got the job at the advertising, it was selling advertising, help wanted advertising for a newspaper. This is immediately following getting fired. I got this job. And one of the women that I worked with had gone through a really difficult time and was about to be homeless. So me not even thinking anything of it, I immediately say, oh, you and your cat can come and stay at our house. Our house was a one bedroom apartment in East Boston. I slept on the sofa. My roommate had the bedroom and this woman, Jane and her cat ended up sleeping in a sleeping bag on the floor next to me in the living room. It never occurred to me to talk to Susan about it. It never occurred to me to do anything other than do one more thing, be the help that somebody needs. And eventually Susan got really upset, said Jane has to go. And so Jane went and very shortly thereafter, Susan, moved into an apartment with another friend of hers in downtown Boston. I could not afford the apartment by myself. So it meant getting another apartment that was filled with cockroaches and was right next to the Sumner Tunnel, also in East Boston. And I just worked harder and harder and harder to try to keep up. Sometime thereafter, I ended up getting a job as a personnel recruiter. I did a lot of different things. When I'm the personnel recruiter, I find myself talking to people who need jobs, who are in some sort of financial crisis. So what do I do? 
I bring them groceries. If they need a friend, I become their friend. Someone's son was missing. We were, she didn't have a car. We were out looking together in my car, driving around to see if we could find her son. Every, at every turn, I would find some way to try to make myself useful. And it just kept me in the same hamster wheel, the same stuck kind of place where there was no opportunity for me to really grow and explore who I was because ultimately I resented every single thing I was doing for someone else because I didn't have the gas to go looking for someone's son. I couldn't afford my own rent or groceries. Yes, it was nice to have friends, but I wasn't really a friend. It was more like a counselor of sorts. So I would be with one Eeyore after another, and I would resent it over and over and over again. But it didn't stop me from doing it, not, not for years. So we keep going along in my crazy life of one job after another, working very hard, attempting to take care of anyone that I come in contact with. And then I meet Mark, who is my now husband, and I get into a very sticky situation with him. And ultimately, Mark ends up divorced with two children and involved with me. And now I am 24 years old and have his ex-wife who despises me, undoubtedly incredibly hurt by how everything went down, but despises me. And I have two stepchildren soon thereafter. And so it was just crisis management after crisis management after crisis management while working, 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 scrambling to try to figure out the money. How can we make this work? Very, very difficult situation. And I really, I just went from one difficult situation to another difficult situation to another difficult situation. And then in about 2008, when the financial crisis hit, I had been selling real estate for about 10 years, maybe 11, 10 or 11 years. And with the financial crisis, I wasn't making any money because people weren't buying real estate. It was a really difficult time. And in the midst of this whole time, I had also been doing a lot of personal growth work and therapy and coaching for myself, many, many workshops, different kinds of modalities for my own personal growth to see what am I really here for? You know, I'd done so many different kinds of work in my life and what's my highest and greatest contribution? Because I had started to realize that trying to take care of the world was not it, not through groceries, not through planning every single thing that I possibly could to entertain my husband's kids, my stepchildren. And in 2008, 
I got to the point of accepting that doing some coaching work, me being the coach, might be a good fit for me. And so I had any number of heart-to-heart talks with my husband. And he said, but Jillian, you're never going to make any money doing that. I said, but Mark, I'm not making any money now. So wouldn't it be better for me to make no money doing something I'm actually wanting to do that I have an interest in rather than something I don't want to do anymore? He wasn't completely convinced, but ultimately he was on board. And so, because we don't do things without both of us being on board. So he got on board. And then I took many, many years to prove him right. that I just was making no money. And what had happened is that I made the transition from real estate to coaching. And I barely had any clients for years. It was this incredibly challenging, demoralizing experience to not be earning any money when I'd been earning money since I was 12 years old. And I had so much wrapped up in what it meant about me if I wasn't earning any money. And so at one point I was just beside myself. I was really tortured. I tortured myself about the whole thing. And Mark turned to me and said, Twin, what would happen if you just stopped everything for a while? If you just didn't worry about money, didn't worry about working, if you just stopped and see what opens up? And then I just burst into tears because A, that sounded both so generous and also terrifying because I had to do something. And while he had proposed that, I couldn't quite manage it in terms of my own way of being with myself. The reality was I wasn't really working that much anyway. Here's how I worked. I had started a group called the Consciousness Collaborative, which had about 13 people. I would do a monthly newsletter or actually I think I did a couple of newsletters a month at that point. Um, And so I was constantly editing or rewriting everyone else's contributions to the newsletters. And I would see a couple of people who who came to see me. So I had a couple of clients. And I also had started with two friends. I had started a workshop program called What's Next Workshop. And we offered that to... Uh, groups of people, except that again, very, very few people came. And so I was busy. I was very busy. I was, you know, organizing events for the Consciousness Collaborative. I was trying to recruit new members, finding the right people that would fit. I was still very involved in my own personal growth work. I was, I was very busy, but I still hadn't quite gotten that I didn't have to be busy. And so with time and with clients not beating down my door, little by little, things started to shift. I got to a point where I let go of the Consciousness Collaborative. I just closed it down. And amazingly, more clients came in.
And then I was offering what's next workshop, just me offering it instead of with any partners. And sometimes I would get people and sometimes I wouldn't, but it started to have this, it took on a different shape of how I spent my time. Instead of spending lots of time creating websites and posting all kinds of things on Facebook and I got some help to do some of those things for me instead of me doing it myself, even though I still wasn't really earning any significant money. And I started just giving myself some space and time. I could take a whole day and just read. I'd read a Nora Roberts novel just for hours. Or I'd play with my cats. Or I'd do a puzzle. Or maybe I would do some painting. I like to play around with watercolors. I have no artistic talent whatsoever, but I still like to play. This is what I started doing. Instead of spending all of my time coaching all of my friends, which is one of the other things that I ended up doing for in the time when I wasn't really working with official clients, those are little air quotes that you hear in there, I would coach my friends. And I started weaning myself off of that. And the more space that I had, the more I started to discover who I was and what the nature of just being was instead of constantly, constantly trying to accomplish something, trying to have a value because of what I do for someone else. It completely changed my life to have just the willingness and the space and the surrender in me to let go of trying to control every single thing. So why do I talk about that now? Why is that where I'm beginning this podcast conversation? It's because with the pandemic and so many of us staying at home to keep people safe, Many people have more space and less sense of being productive than they've ever experienced before. There's an opportunity for emotions that usually get covered by some sort of busyness. And I'm talking about emotions like anger, sadness, fear, the grief that's in the air. We are currently bathing in this planetary hardship while unable to do what we usually it's not possible to get lost and busy right now unless you work at a hospital or a grocery store or a pharmacy or a delivery company 
I'm sure some of you can still do it. I'm sure that some of you can clean your house until it's completely sparkling or, and I'm not criticizing. I'm just saying like you guys are still finding ways to experience a sense of accomplishment and productiveness. What I'm wondering though, is if this pandemic, if this virus is gifting us an opportunity to shift from busy, 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 must be constantly producing something or in service of someone as I was for so much of my life even if I resented it, to have our identities not be so tied to what we do, but to leave a little space to acknowledge and see and hear and feel who we truly are. There's this window of opportunity to be who we are, to be curious about that, to lean into that, to feel our own emotions, to experience our bodies sensationally. What are the sensations happening in our bodies? To develop self-trust that previously had been navigated or managed by controlling behaviors. One of the things that I say to my clients is that the amount of control that we grasp for is always in direct proportion to the amount of fear that we are feeling. And so growing up, I had fear up the yin yang. And so I attempted to control everything. I did not stay in my own lane. I was in everyone else's business. And until I narrowed my focus and gave myself space, made myself my own priority, my life didn't really open up. Once I started to do that, there was so much more flow there has been these last years so much more flow. Flow of love, flow of money, flow of experiences. I've traveled all over the world in the last several years. So I'm not saying that's exactly what will happen for you. And obviously right now, no one's traveling anywhere. But what I am saying is that this may be a doorway. This may be an invitation shaped like a bunny head for you in your mailbox. That's what this pandemic may be sending you. Saying, hey, this is available to you now. This space, this opportunity is available to you. And your willingness and readiness, if they meet, may be able 
to support you in making a paradigm shift while we travel this bridge together. So I believe that could be the gift. And it had me thinking about, so if you're sitting there and you're wondering, well, how do I start that? And I thought back to where do I begin? Where, where was one of the ways that I learned for myself? What is one of the ways that I have often worked with my clients when they begin a journey with me? Not always, but often. And it's something that I call a just right moment. It's just a single moment in time. It could be a few seconds. It could be a 15 minutes. It could be an hour. It could be a day. It, I don't know how long it lasts. It's different for everyone, depending upon what it is. But going inward and connecting with one of your own just right moments, a just right moment is a time when you were exactly where you were meant to be, you knew it. There is a sense of alignment in you. You just know that's exactly where I'm meant to be in this moment. And so I'm going to give you a couple of examples from my own life. And maybe that will help you to find one of yours. So you can kind of see what I'm talking about. So the first one was when I was 13. Now I mentioned to you that my grandfather was my person. He was the one guy who really got that I was a kid and allowed me to be a child. So he was always the adult and I was always the kid. And we would go for walks together and we would plant trees together and we would sit on the couch together and watch television or if he noticed that I was a little out of sorts he'd start off by tickling me and then he'd say get the cards and off I'd run to his bureau and pull out these special decks of cards they were special to me because there was a company that he used to work for and the name of that company was printed on these two decks of cards that were in a plastic case. And a plastic case for cards. I mean, this is very special when you're a little kid. So I'd run off and get the case, bring them back to the living room. He would sit on the sofa. I would sit on the floor. And across the coffee table, we would play Rummy, which he taught me how to play, or Crazy Eights, which I taught him how to play. And we would just spend time together. And it was lovely. It was this really connecting thing. To this day, I love playing games with people because I have the experience of that being a really lovely way to connect without it having to be something, we don't have to be talking about something specifically. It's just being with each other. So I'm 13 years old. And my grandfather is dying in his bed at home. And I live there too. 
And my grandmother and her friends are in the kitchen and they're all chattering, chattering, chattering. And I lean up against the doorway of the master bedroom where he is in bed. And he looks over and he sees me. And I go into the room and I sit on the bed for a few minutes and he looks at me. And for the last time, he said, get the cards. And so I got off the bed and I went to his bureau and I got the cards and I can physically feel myself pop back onto the bed, a little hop with my heels underneath my bum. And we played one last hand of crazy eights with him looking at me full of love and me feeling full of love for him and receiving love from him in that moment. What it was to have this one man who really stood with me through all of the crazy that went on in that house. This was our way of saying goodbye. It was our last real moment of connection because a day or two later, I was taken away from the house to stay at my aunt's house with my cousins. And within a day or two of that, he died. But I can tell you exactly where I was sitting. I can feel the mattress under my shins. I can feel my heels bumping into my bum. I can see his eyes. And to this day, I'm 52 years old now, so that was a long time ago. And it still remains a just right moment for me because I was exactly where I was meant to be in that moment. So maybe someplace in your life, in your history, you have had some connection with another person, some moment, just a moment, when you knew that you were exactly where you were meant to be. And that's a just right moment. Now, one of the things that I've learned is that it matters that all of my just right moments, because I have many now, that's just a really powerful one that I remember from so long ago. It matters that my just right moments are not only with other people. There's not a codependence, there's an interdependence. I don't require someone else to be with me to have a just right moment. And yet I am open to having a just right moment in relation to another person. And so I'm going to encourage you to find one with another person or other people. And I'm going to give you an example of one that was just me, that was just a way that I had found a just right moment myself. So that maybe you will have a window into finding one for yourself, just between you and you.
So this is the beach story. Growing up in that crazy house where things could be thrown against the walls and uh, yelling and my mother believing that my grandmother paid someone to date her or that my mother thought she had microphones in her fillings. It was a pretty crazy existence. And we lived about half a mile from the beach, the beach at that time, this is an old Sabre, Connecticut. And the beach was just a very small beach um, or beach area most of which was considered a private beach with individual homes on it, um, just beyond it on the Long Island Sound. So no big waves, but there was one area that was considered um, the public beach, but only for this neighborhood. So the neighborhood that I lived in. So, and this is in the, at the time, a pretty, trashy part of town. It was not, there were some lovely parts of Old Saybrook and this was not one of them. But when things would get really crazy at the house, I would either walk or ride my bike down to that beach. And where the public area was, on the right-hand side, there was a concrete wall and a pier of pilings. It wasn't, uh, you couldn't walk out there, but what I would do is I would lean up against the concrete wall that separated the public area of the beach from one of the private beach houses. I would sit there with my legs extended out on the pilings and my back leaning up against the concrete wall. And I would watch the sky change color or watch the clouds move from shape to shape and I would listen to the water gently swishing, swishing, swishing. I could feel and taste the sea breeze. Sometimes it would be quite cold and the wind would whip through my hair. Sometimes I would be crying Sometimes I would be yelling. Sometimes I would just be silent. But that space became my safe space. I would be there for however long I needed to come back to me and be able to go back to that house. It was always a just right moment to reconnect with me, to be with myself again. Sometimes I would walk the beach, climbing over one little wall to another little wall to another little wall. And that too would give me the chance to yell and scream or cry. And then I could come back to wherever it was that I was living at the time, because I also did this when my mom and I lived alone later. And 
those are just right moments for me. Now, I'll have you just acknowledge that the just right moment with my grandfather was filled with both love and sadness and grief. The grief being a specific kind of sadness. The just right moments at the beach could be incredibly peaceful because my favorite thing was to find the green in the sky. Most sunsets don't have green in them, but some do. That was always a magic moment. So they could be incredibly peaceful, or I might be expressing my own anger or sadness or grief. I wasn't so much into expressing fear back then or even acknowledging it. Mostly I would be angry. But sometimes there would just be the joy of having the space just to me, for me. And in every one of those times, it was just me aligning with myself and whatever I was feeling in the moment. It didn't have to be a joy-filled experience for it to count as a just right moment, although I have those too. Now we're going to fast forward a bunch of years. And probably about, oof, I'm going to guess 15 years ago, although I have a very skewed sense of time, but probably about call it 12 to 15 years ago, I had just supported a residential workshop. I was one of the people who um, was a student of the primary therapist who led the workshop. She and several other facilitators and then a variety of helpers and some of her students who were going through this program for coaching and counseling, which I went through a four-year program with her to do what I do. And following this residential workshop, this group of 14 of us were going to go to what we called summer camp. And so we were all traveling down to the Cape to the family home of one of my fellow students. She and I together had coordinated where everybody would sleep, what we were going to do for meals, who needed to bring what, who was responsible for what. We had done all of this coordination. We arrive at the house. Everybody is bringing in coolers and suitcases and bags of groceries and as everyone else was getting settled in, I went out. There was a great big deck just behind her house. And then beyond that was a smaller deck that sat right over the ocean. And I sat down. And the way that I sat, I had my back up against the kind of the wall of the deck and my feet extended and beneath me I could hear the swish, swish, swish of the ocean and the moon was bright and kind of almost if it could tinkle, it was tinkling off of the ocean. And it brought me right back to all of those years before 
and the solace I would feel in taking a time out for myself. And with all of the stress going on in the house as people were figuring out where they were sleeping and settling in, and I was able to have a time out once again, all these years later, just for me to reconnect with me. And so for years, the beach has offered that kind of thing for me. It doesn't the same way now. It's funny. I don't have quite the same relationship with the beach now. I think because I've opened up to so many other possibilities, so many other kinds of magical, just right moments where I am exactly where I'm meant to be in the moment. And so those are a couple for me. And what I want to invite you to do is to find your own. Find a place where the essence of who you be is just completely aligned with the moment you were in. It could be in childhood. It could be yesterday. I'm going to encourage you to find one that may include another person or people and find one that's just you. What is it to just have a moment of being exactly where you're meant to be just between you and you and when you open your heart in some way to another person, each of those. So here's why this just right moment thing is so important. Because any other work that you may do, any other growth stretching that you may do, for example, who it is that you are going to trust as you lean into the gift that this pandemic may be offering to you, it has to come from the essence of who you be. And the essence of who you be shows up in those just right moments when you are fully aligned. That's what happens then. It's not about being 13. The 13 year old in me is not who is running my life right now. It's not who's making the decisions. It's not who I ask to stretch and take risks and try on new things. But the essence of who I am, the essence of who I was in those aligned moments is who I call upon when I'm going to take a risk, when I'm going to stretch into some new way of being and finding out who I am. So we will never ask the child in you to do that kind of work. No doubt the child in you has been asked to do far more than really was ever their responsibility. That's true for most of us. There may be a kind of soul retrieval that happens during this time of quarantine as you reconnect with parts of yourself that maybe have been dragging behind like the cans of a wedding car, not knowing 
where they belong in you and with the space offered by our requirement to stay at home. Maybe you will discover and reintegrate parts of you. But for that to happen, it means you need to be clear about the essence of who you be. And that essence is alive with every just right moment. It's always there. It's always, always there. But those are the moments that you may be able to recognize it. It is the eternal you that is always there, unable to be tarnished in any way, shape, or form. So, that's where we begin. And with that, I thank you for being with me. I send you my love and encouragement. I want you to know that I believe in you. I believe in your ability to stretch and grow and really be instead of do. I believe in your ability to welcome the gift of the pandemic, even though you may not have yet found the space in you to do that. And I want you to know that I believe in you, even when you might forget to believe in yourself. And so from my heart to yours, my sweet trust tribe, I send you my love and I wish you well until next time.